following the worthy name of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you have your Bibles open, turn with, uh, to them again, or if they're open, look at verses 12, 13, and 14 again of chapter 21, because I think this is the focal point, and it's surely these, this passage jumped out at me. It's where I got my sermon title today. Paul was headed toward Jerusalem and in, uh, in the city of Caesarea. We read this. When we heard this, we and the people were there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. There's a cost to following Jesus Christ. John White wrote a book. It's thin. It's a good read. It's worth, worth reading. I read it as a young man, so it's a few years ago. I was 20 when this book was published. <laughs> Okay, giveaway. <laughs> Listen to what he says in his introduction. Your pulse may beat more quickly when you imagine what you would do if times became difficult. But as I write, times are not difficult. We enjoy freedom unparalleled in history. Did you hear that? We have enjoyed freedom unparalleled in history. What then does it mean to take up your cross when little risk is involved in following Jesus? Does his teaching about the cross have meaning only when secret police pound doors at midnight? No, indeed. A little bit later on, he writes this. In this book, I will not be talking about suffering, the suffering that we share that's common with all humanity, nor suffering arising from our own stupidity and sin. I'm referring to the suffering I experienced because of my loyalty to Jesus Christ. I do not even mean suffering because of the way I witness, because some of us suffer because we are obnoxious and self-righteous, but suffering that arises because I stand close to the suffering Christ. Christian suffering has to do with the cross I take up and heave on my back. The kind of cross to which Christ refers is not a cross of arthritis or petty annoyances. It makes, excuse me, it's the badge of a true follower of Christ. It could take any form. It could take, be sickness or hunger or loneliness or persecution, even death. It has been the glory of the church for 2,000 years to suffer that way, and to all who read this book, the words of the Lord of the church come ringing across the centuries. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Good read. It's worth reading. As we follow Paul's journey, as we are in the book of Acts in chapter 21, and we are nearing the end, there's only 28 chapters, <laughs> It's all about his impending imprisonment and all about his suffering and following Christ and being loyal. And as we study Paul's life, we're given this opportunity to examine our own lives and say, wow, 
Am I that committed to following Jesus Christ? Do I really believe his name is worthy of even dying for? Or suffering a little bit for? Following the name of the worthy, the worthy name of Jesus Christ. I want to take a look at a few things from this chapter. First of all, we're going to take a look real quickly at a few key words or key thoughts. And then I want to talk about the cost of following Jesus of following that worthy name, it means that I value God's people. It means that I'm willing to count the cost like Paul did and follow. It means that the gospel is going to clash with my own thinking, my cultural thinking, the pressures that I feel from politics and my culture and the world, and, and I have to sort it out and, and, and turn myself over more fully to follow Christ. And we're also going to see the cost of following Jesus. It always, and it still means, I'm going to move this before I bump into it, that God's always going to intervene for us, like he did for Paul, and he will for you and me. So let's take a look at this chapter together real quickly. Following the worthy name. I want to look at the first six verses. I didn't have David read those this morning, but let's look at them now kind of traces where Paul's going. He had just been in Ephesus. The riot just happened. We talked about that last week. Things settled down, and he's on his way to Jerusalem with that offering, that gift from all the Gentile churches to the church in Jerusalem, to the Jewish believers there, because they were suffering. And when we had parted from them, that is Luke and Paul and, and this, uh, all the people that were with them representing all the different churches, we came to the straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And have, having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed, stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed, and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they, and they returned home. So there's some key words in this passage, and the key word is this suffering for the name of Christ, imprisoned or in bondage for the name of Christ. That's a key thought for the rest of the book of Acts, Paul being in bondage. But there's a more important word that Paul kind of referred to in his last letter to Timothy, the last letter we know that he wrote, at least that we have in our possession in the Bible, and here's what he told Timothy. I am bound with chains for the gospel, but the word of God is not bound. Remember that. Those are the key thoughts for the rest of the book of Acts. Bound and imprisoned, but the word of God is never bound or imprisoned. Something else I see in these first six verses, and it's found in verse 4. It says, they sought out the disciples. If you didn't know it, you would maybe look over that, but the word there in the Greek, thanks to commentators I found out, is very focused. 
they did not know these disciples. They were strangers. They were brothers and sisters in Christ, but they did not know them. But they sought them out. They valued the people of God. Strangers that they didn't know, but yet they were bound together, tied together through Jesus Christ and their faith in him, so they sought to be together with them. You know what's amazing is that Paul not only taught about how connected we are in the body of Christ, how, va- how important each one of us is. You know, he talked about us being a body and how every part, ears, eyes, nose, etc., are important to the body functioning well. He not only preached about it, believed it, and taught it, but he practiced it. He sought out these disciples. We were connected. We are connected. And he valued them for mutual encouragement. And just just a quick note before we move on. They were together for seven days. So that's a kind of a, a full week. They were strangers before, but notice the farewell that Paul got. It's just like on the beach at Ephesus almost with people he knew very well. They all came together, whole families to pray together and to send him off. People of God, <laughs> we are all bought with the precious precious blood of Christ. So whether we're immature or new in the faith or we're, we're maturing and, and kind of moving on or we're like we're mature and, and in good standing, I, I don't know that I would rate myself in that category. That's, no, I'm not. But no matter where we are, we're all equally value in the sight of God because we've all been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. So don't be careless with one another. Value one another. Learn to appreciate and to put up with one another because we are one in Christ. So it's important that we love and care and encourage one another because it's not easy to live life alone. They said farewell on the beach. They'd gotten connected and now there was a bond here that Paul would have missed and encouraging them, and them encouraging him on his way to Jerusalem if he had not pursued them. So, well, we'll get to some application later on. (laughs) These chapters can be a little tedious because it's all about Paul being in trial and giving his testimony, and he tells a story about how he came to faith again and again. It's like, I already read that. I already know that story. But don't miss the important things here. Jesus' disciples may be imprisoned, but what? The Word of God is never imprisoned. So think about that when you feel like you can't speak at work or at the store freely about Christ because of how you might be responded. You may feel in bondage, but believe that the gospel is free to touch hearts and lives, so don't be afraid to say it. And remember, every believer is valuable. Purchase with the blood of Christ, so pursue fellowship, like it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together as the day is approaching. That is the day of evil, the day of Christ's return. So as you see those hard times coming, don't give up getting together, but as a matter of fact, let it move you to, to pursue fellowship, to be together, to honor one another above yourselves so other believers and their gifts can encourage you and you can encourage them. 
let's move on. Chapter, seven, or chapter 21, verses 7 through 16, uh, we read through these verses already today, and there's some great things here. Counting the cost of following Jesus Christ. Paul's on his way to Jerusalem, and by the way, if you haven't noticed this, read the chapter again. Paul's journey to Jerusalem matches up with Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, and it's not by accident. Jesus said in John chapter 12, I'm headed toward Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer there. I'm going to be turned over to the Gentiles. I'm going to die. Am I supposed to turn away from that? No, that was the Father's will for him. And Jesus went on, knowing what was ahead. Well, Paul's in the same place. The Holy Spirit did not tell him not to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit just said, here's what's going to happen when you do. But the Holy Spirit was also moving him to go there. That was God's will for him. So he was happy to do, to follow his Father's will, God's will, Jesus Christ's will for his life. I'm ready to be imprisoned and even to die there, he said. And all his friends, like Peter, said to Jesus, no, you can't go to Jerusalem. You're not going to die. You can't do this. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me. And that's what Paul's saying. Why are you weeping? You're breaking my heart. So Agabus's prophecy uh, is going to come true. Well-meaning believers didn't want him to suffer. Oh, that's too hard. You can follow Jesus, but don't die for him. Don't throw your life away. That's not what God wants for you. Well... Maybe it is, not for all of us, but some of us, one of us. Reminds us of the Garden of Gethsemane, doesn't it? Father, not my will, but yours be done. It's part of the disciples' prayer, or as we call it, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. You can finish it, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, do your will. Use us to spread your gospel. I want you to take just a moment and think about the greatness of Jesus Christ. And the greatness of his mission. And he's asked us to be a part of that mission. To go and make disciples to the whole world. To every nation, to every tribe, to every people group, to every language. We should be in awe of Paul's commitment to the Lord. Why was he willing to suffer and, and even die for Jesus? Because he understood the greatness of Jesus Christ. <laughs> we shouldn't be amazed at Paul because Jesus is totally worthy of his allegiance. So it's really be amazed at his commitment because like, like Paul, we should be committed to Jesus Christ at the same level because of his greatness and because of the amazingness of his mission. 
By the way, Paul didn't want to suffer. As a matter of fact, in verse chapter 20, we just read that he avoided uh, a plot against his life. He avoided trouble whenever he could, but if it was God's will for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer, he was willing to do it. Not because he was some great man in himself, but because he was serving the great Lord of the universe, the risen Savior and God of all, Jesus Christ. So there's some implications in this chapter. One thing I, I, I forgot to mention as we were reading through is that uh, the next thing they did is when they arrived, uh, they went to Philip's house in Caesarea, the evangelist. He was one of the seven deacons in, in Acts chapter 7 who were appointed to help serve tables. And he was a great evangelist. And you might remember the reason uh, Philip went to Samaria and was pushed out from Jerusalem was because Paul was the one persecuting the church and forcing the church to scatter. So Philip had to run for his life to get away from Paul, and now, or Saul then, and now Paul is in his house. Isn't this a great picture? Talk about hospitality. Talking about seeking out fellowship with the believers. Here are two men who were once enemies, and now they are best of friends because of a changed life in Saul, because of Jesus Christ. And I just want to mention, too, don't want to harp on it, but he had four unmarried daughters who were prophetesses. Church of Jesus Christ, we don't know what to do with women, but we need to learn what to do with women. Because in that culture, unmarried women were very low in standing in their culture. But in God's kingdom, women had a very high standard now in Jesus Christ. They were not for much as foretellers as forth-tellers of God's truth. They were prophetess. They were prophets. And God raised them up. And Luke makes sure we don't miss that point. He mentions Anna early on in Luke chapter 2 in the temple when Jesus came in. A widow of low standing, poor, and yet here she is a prophetess speaking the truth of Christ to anyone who would listen, raising them up. Just like in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost, when Peter quoted from the Joel's prophecy, old men are going to have dreams, and young men are going to have dreams, and young men and women are going to speak, are going to be prophesied in the last days. This is the last days, so there's a sense where we're all even in Christ. Yes, there are men, there are women, we're different, we have different roles, but yet we are even up in the sight of God and have service for Christ to make disciples and we need to figure out how to use and implement and help one another serve Christ well. Is Jesus Christ worth losing everything for? What's your answer this morning? What are you thinking right now in your mind, in your heart, in your soul? How far are you and I willing to go? What's Jesus' counsel about it? Since Luke wrote Acts, I like to go to his gospel. A couple instances. In Luke chapter 12, here's what Jesus said about if he's worth it. And he told them a parable saying, Luke chapter 12, verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. 
And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Is Jesus Christ worth dying for? What is your heart and mind saying this morning? Another instance in Luke chapter 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, a little bit later, after Jesus said, Do these things, he said, I've kept all the commandments from youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said, You lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute, them to the, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then here was the killer, right? And come, follow me. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. Come, follow me. What did Paul tell us in his letters? <laughs> Everything I had I considered to be rubbish in Philippians chapter 3. It's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. It's nothing to me anymore. So carrying your cross does not mean you can't ever enjoy life, by the way. You're allowed to enjoy beautiful things. You're allowed to even own some of those things. You're allowed to enjoy art and music and all these great gifts that God has given us. Yes, to love life and enjoy it because it's a gift from God. But never, ever let the temporary things outrun the things of God. Don't love the things that God gives you more than the one who gives them to you, God himself. The rich fool made the mistake. He forgot his great creator. And he died a soulless, poor, eternally suffering person. The rich young ruler's mistake was he loved his money so much he was willing to hold on to the temporary and not let go and give it to God. Not to live for God. He lost eternity for a few moments. Don't make the mistake. What is your soul telling you this morning about following Christ? Is it worth it? What's your heart and mind saying? Be honest with yourself. Let's be honest with one another where we're struggling with giving up those things to follow Christ. Let's move on. Following the worthy name. In verses 17 and on through verse 26, we read this. When they had come to Jerusalem, so Paul finally has gotten to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related by one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God and they said to him, there's a but in there, by the way, but, <laughs> however, they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they've been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. 
take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law or the Jewish law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Following the worthy name, the gospel and misguided mindsets, I call this. The Jerusalem church leaders were glad to hear all that God had been doing. They were amazed. They had sent Paul out with their blessing to go minister to Jew and Gentile, but his ministry was focused on the Gentiles, and the church was growing leaps and bounds further west from the mother church of Jerusalem. And they reaffirmed their support of Paul in verse 25. We just read it. They, they're reaffirming the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. We studied that a while ago about the Gentiles and what they needed to do. So what was the problem here in Jerusalem? There were issues with new believers who were Jews. They were clinging to the law. They hadn't matured enough to understand God's great vision for, for the church, Jew and Gentile. And they were starting, some of them were starting to believe that Paul, from unbelieving Jews, was saying, you don't have to be circumcised as a Jew. God never said you had to stop doing those things or observing Jewish rituals or the feast and all those things. Those are good things because they point to Christ. So it's good to observe them if you honor Christ in them. But there were many who were starting to say you need not only to believe in Jesus, but you need to be circumcised too. You have to become Jewish in order to be part of the church. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is about faith. Hang in there with me because there's a couple passages we must look at. In Galatians chapter 5, here's what Paul wrote. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So if you say you have to believe in Jesus, but then you also have to observe circumcision and all the other Jewish laws and rituals that God gave the Jewish people, if you say you must do those as well in order to be saved, then you have to keep the whole law. And we already know that no one can keep the whole law. We're all lawbreakers. We're sinners. We all fall short. It's by faith. And that's what Paul says. You are severed from Christ if you believe Jesus plus. You will be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So the key is faith alone. But people, Christians, were being influenced by wrong thinking, believing untruths about Paul, believing untruths about the pure gospel, 
And now Paul was a hot potato. <laughs> We're so glad of what you're doing in the, for God's church and how it's growing, your ministry to the Gentiles, but we have a problem in Jerusalem. People have heard you're saying certain things. They weren't true, but you're a hot potato, Paul. So we have a plan. We don't want to have a, an uprising. You see, the context of the times was this. I feel like I'm living back then, only I'm living now. <laughs> There's division among the church because people are hearing things and are not focused on the Jesus Christ of the gospel. There was great national pride among the Jews right now. There was nationalism. There was unrest. They were upset with Rome and its rule over them. They wanted to free themselves from this bondage. So there were all kinds of uprising and riots and people assassinating things and causing trouble, trying to overthrow the Romans. And the Romans, you know, they had armor and they had swords and they had spears and they came down hard. So the Jews, even Christian Jews, believing Jews, there was a strong sense of nationalism. There was a sense that we don't like Gentiles. Look what the Romans are doing. So they heaped all the Gentiles into a heap and said, we don't like those people. And that was a mistake. There was distrust and dislike. And so Paul's taking the gospel to Gentiles. Well, what's he doing? They didn't have a vision for what God wanted the church to be. Jew and Gentile together as one person, one, one unit, one body. The barrier broken down through the cross of Christ. So the Jerusalem elders made a plan. They said, Paul, show these people that what they've heard about you isn't true. Show how Jewish you are by joining these men who've made an oath Join the temple, worship in the temple, shave your head, be a part of it, pay for them to show that you still can believe in Jesus and you can still be Jewish and be together on it. Here's a question for you. I hope you're with me on this. <laughs> Was Paul compromising? Were the elders in Jerusalem, James and the elders, compromising the gospel for the sake of peace? Were the Jerusalem leaders saying that they agreed with Paul's Gentile ministry, but they kind of wanted to keep a distance from him so as to keep their witness? Were they compromising? Well, let's just think through this real quick. James and the Jerusalem elders, well, God gives no commentary about their motives. So here's what we can assume. They, were, they believed in Paul's ministry. They said so in verse 25. But they were trying to navigate a very difficult problem. Political hot issues religious hot issues. They were trying to protect the disciples. They were trying to have opportunity to continue to witness to the Jews in Jerusalem. If Rome came down hard on a rebellion that was caused by Paul being there, then the Christian Jews would be in danger too. And you can probably relate. We find ourselves in troubling situations in our times as well. There's political divide. There's viewpoints of faith. We're divided over masks in the church. It's crazy to me. Love one another. Take care of one another. Focus on the gospel of Christ. Our kingdom is not this world. Our kingdom is of heaven. So focus on serving together and staying together. Don't let it divide it. And these elders were trying to do their best. And what about Paul? Was he... Was he compromising? I mean, why did he go along with this? Well, his motives are clear. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I become as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share it with them and its blessing. So his motives were pure. He did this to keep the church in Jerusalem at peace, keeping unity among his brothers there, because he valued the people of God, Jew and Gentile. And he did it so that he could win some of his Jewish brothers to the Lord. His motives were pure. Self-protection wasn't his priority. The gospel was his priority. Commitment to Jesus has its cost. The cost of seeking fellowship and bearing with other believers of all flavors and putting up with one another and loving one another. Am I willing to pay those costs to serve Jesus and build up the saints? The cost of having to surrender my will to God's will, my way to his way. It can be uncomfortable and emotionally draining and life-threatening. The cost of following Jesus and having to make hard decisions without compromising the gospel is hard. There's the cost of misunderstanding among other, other Christians we love or care about. There's a loss of reputation in some people's eyes because of the stand we take, because we're committed to Christ. Following the worthy name of Jesus, the plan failed. Look at verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, that is Paul, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trimotheus with from Ephesian, with the Ephesians with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together and they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut and as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the, of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion and he took at once soldiers and centurions and ran down to them and they saw the tri tribune and the soldiers and they stopped beating Paul and then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with chains. And verse 34 says, And some of the crowd were shouting one thing about Paul, and some another, and so the tribune could not figure out what was going on, so he grabbed Paul, and they carried him over their heads, and they protected him. What a scene. So the ruling powers protected Paul. Isn't it amazing? Have you ever used the phrase, it's a small world? I mean, Paul's in Jerusalem, and there's some people from Asia who happen to be in Jerusalem at the time, and they recognize Paul, and they say, there he is, there's that guy, let's get him. 
It was out of the church's hands. Paul was recognized and grabbed by Jews, unbelieving Jews, who hated him and his message. But God was with them. Just how God said, the Jews are going to turn you over to the Gentiles. And even though Rome was hated and abusive, God was using those Roman soldiers to protect Paul. Isn't that cool? Away with him, they said. 30 years earlier, or thereabouts, they said the same thing about Jesus. Basically, they were saying, kill him. Kill him. Paul was very much alone. But he wasn't really alone. The church couldn't do anything but pray. But God was with him. Because the Lord was his shepherd. And even though he was walking in the valley of the shadow of death, he had nothing to fear. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 28. That promise rings true for you and me. So, I need to wrap this up. You say. What life lessons is God trying to speak to us or to you individually today through this chapter? What's God saying to your heart, your mind, your soul? Is there an area in your life where God is speaking to you about surrendering more of yourself to God's kingdom work, to God's kingdom way? Maybe it's your commitment to people, God's people, whether they fellowship here or are out there in another fellowship. But what's, what's your commitment to the people of God? Is God saying, I need you to be more committed to encourage, to be a part of, to seek them out to, so they can encourage you and you encourage them? Maybe it's a ministry you know you need to invest in, whether it's a ministry that we have here or a ministry where there's other believers out there in the community that you need to invest in, whether it's here in our nation or somewhere around the world, because that's where your talents and your interest and and you feel God tugging your heart. Is that what God might be saying to you today? Maybe God's asking us to do some cross-cultural steps. You know what? Teen culture is scary. Is God asking you to maybe infiltrate that culture because they need your voice, the gospel, your relationship, your truth? Would you dare cross that? It's hard to connect with people outside the church, outside the faith of Christ, outside the body of Christ. Is God asking us to invest in the lives of people who don't know him a little bit more, a little differently than we are now? What is the Spirit of God saying to you and to us? Let me ask you this. Have you believed and committed your future into Christ's hands? Would you dare do that? Do you think it's worth it? Will you and others ask God to move us, to move in grace and actions because we truly believe Jesus Christ is the worthy name that is worth living for, suffering for, and even if called on to be dying for. What does your mind and heart say today? Let's pray. Lord God, Spirit of God, 
Open up our eyes so our souls see how glorious you are and worthy your name is to be followed. You left nothing behind. You left everything behind, Lord, and gave it all so that we could live. You are the worthy one who died for us. So, Lord, I ask you today to take away our fear and fill us instead with your truth and confidence that following you is worth it. And Lord, we would ask you to do that, to to stir in our hearts to be more committed for your honor and glory so others can enjoy you and know you and live eternally with you like us. Lord, as we remember your burial and death and resurrection for us now through communion, stir in our hearts to follow you more wholeheartedly, we pray in Christ's name.